0: Good morning, Covenant, on this Sunday after Easter, the high mark of the church year, the high mark in the calendar, in the church calendar of the year. We did indeed have a beautiful week last week. We gathered together Monday through Wednesday at noon. We had a Monday, Thursday communion service, a Good Friday worship service, six Worship services on Easter Sunday morning, it has been very full around this place, which brings us to today. One blogger describes what we might be experiencing as a congregation as Pell's post-Easter letdown syndrome. We could easily be at a place of post-Easter letdown we experience those kind of feelings throughout life, don't we? Think returning home from a mission trip, the last child going off to college, turning in a final, final manuscript or, or that last project or final exam, or a glorious vacation or event that ends that required a whole lot of planning, or the end of an exciting sporting teams season. We have those times in life when we are acutely focused, where the mission is clear and you wake up in the morning knowing exactly where you throw your best energies. You have a very focused, well-defined mission, an important purpose that requires everything you have to give. But then when it is over, you stand in an open and broad place and you wonder what is next. Could this be the case? For the first followers of Jesus after that first Easter. For the first disciples, it has been quite a roller coaster ride. Let's think for a minute. Let's put ourselves in those shoes, their shoes, for just a minute. It was an extraordinary three-year journey for the disciples, a journey that they have been on that was truly unbelievable. They have risked their lives and lived large and awoken each day, excited to spend time with Jesus. It was a very focused mission. Then came the whirlwind of the end of Jesus' life. The passage that we're going to read in just a minute, it, it transpires about seven weeks after the resurrection, so the wounds of Holy Week are still Fresh. There had been talk about betrayal. They witnessed the horrific scene of the crucifixion. Jesus had spoken in a way they did not understand about suffering and death and resurrection. But what they thought was irreversible, God reversed. Jesus rose from the dead. He then began making appearances from time to time. He then ascended into heaven. It has all been for them amazing. I can only imagine, but also a bit disorienting. Now that the resurrection is over, what is the community to do? Maybe they are experiencing a bit of post-resurrection blues, unclear on what in the world they now are to be doing. It has been a lot to absorb. Maybe we could be feeling some of those same feelings the first disciples felt as well right after Christ's resurrection. Our scripture today is from the book of Acts. The book about the the birth of the church, the early time of the church. Today's passage is part of Peter's sermon. It's a long sermon. I'm just going to read a small portion of it. But this sermon follows the incoming gift of the Holy Spirit given to the church. In this section that we will now listen to together, Peter focuses on Jesus. In particular, he focuses on Jesus' death and resurrection. The main point being that these were a part of God's plan as revealed in the Psalms of which we are witnesses. Let's step now into a portion of the sermon in Acts 2. A big crowd is around Peter. Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since David was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the... Words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts and our minds. May it all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, speak to us words of life and purpose. For the sake of your world, we pray. For the sake of your story, we pray. Amen. In today's passage... Peter speaks to the crowd about Jesus. He implores them to remember what you know. Peter explains that Jesus' death, it was all a part of God's plan. He declares that it was impossible for Christ to be held by death. And quoting Psalm 16, where the great King David anticipates the resurrection of the Messiah. Peter explains that the Jesus story, it is a continuation of an old, old story, God's story. I'm going to invite us this morning to reflect upon story. I expect some of you are familiar with StoryCorps. StoryCorps is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to preserve and share the stories of everyday people for generations to come by inviting them to tell and to record their stories. Each week, a StoryCorps interview is played on NPR. You can also listen to these via podcast at any time. My grandmother participated in a similar exercise to our family's delight. Since 1975, the National Park Service has interviewed more than 1,700 Ellis Island immigrants so they could tell their unique story of coming to this country. We have a recording of my grandmother contributing to the Ellis Island Oral History Project, which has saved her story. Together, all of these immigrants tell a collective story. (laughs) They tell a story of a giant buzz that grows every minute. Wow. I feel like something's about to splash down. (laughs) Is it my mic, you think, David? That's <laughs> <laughs> ah, a new story. Technical... Am I, Michael? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's going away. <laughs> it is going away. How's that? Everything off <laughs> and it's still making that noise. <laughs> Just a okay. No, no, all is all is well. I feel like we should sing victory in Jesus or something. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes? Oh, I'm still on. Good. All right, wow. What do we do with that transition? <laughs> Telling stories. We have a new story to tell. Contemporary worship congregation <laughs> huh what 's that? Yeah, are we going to edit, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, is this the recording? Wow, everything 's coming back on so stories that will not be forgotten that is what StoryCorps and the Ellis Island oral history project that 's what is all about with those two organizations. Donald Miller writes in his book, Storyline, that in order to have a story, you have to have a character who wants something who has to overcome conflict to get it. A character who wants something who has to overcome conflict in order to get it. There are many great stories which match this pattern. For example, Frodo Baggins has to destroy a gold ring in order to save Middle Earth. The aging fisherman Santiago in The Old Man in the Sea, he has to struggle, battle with a giant marlin in order to rescue his reputation as a fisherman. Katniss, she has to survive the Hunger Games in order to get back to her family. Rudy longs to play football at Notre Dame, but he has to overcome a deficit in the area of finances, grades, and talent in order to attend and play football. Woody and Buzz Lightyear. They have to team together in order to get past ruthless toy killer Sid so that they can get back to their house. All stories with great characters who want something, who have to overcome conflict and obstacles to get it. Sounds like Easter to me. Easter brought us the most pivotal moment in the great story, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is risen from the dead. Christ has conquered death. Suffering and death will not be the final word. That's the message of Easter. One that you can bet your life on. And to the extent that the resurrection is real to you, it will change everything. Everything about how you live your life in the present. Last month, I enjoyed two days in the hill country with a dear friend who was visiting from California. She lives in L.A, so we were both excited to get out of, of the fast, stimulated pace of cities and to drive on quiet country roads, looking at scenic, while taking a scenic drive, looking at wildflowers, just enjoying, honestly, the quiet. We eventually made it to Fredericksburg. We ate good food, had good conversation, enjoyed browsing stores, and did a lot of good people watching. But hands down, our favorite moment during those two days was visiting, it was actually a return visit for both of us, to the National Museum of the Pacific War. After entering the museum, we quietly walked the outside grounds reading plaques lining the garden walls, commemorating those, including some of our country's presidents, who served in the Pacific during World War II. We paused before a Pearl Harbor Memorial plaque, which read, Lest We Forget. We had the delightful surprise and honor of of happening to be there at the moment when a husband and wife, both still living in their 90s, who had both served in World War II. He is a Navy doctor, she is an Army nurse we're being honored. It's an incredible museum, commemorating a key event in our national story. However, with the knowledge of World War II, that World War II vets are dying at a rate of nearly 500 per day. How will the story continue after all of the eyewitnesses are no longer living? Someone who impacted my life greatly was my maternal grandmother. I've shared this before. Losing both of her parents by the age of eight, she traveled alone on a ship from Scotland to the, the New World, a land of opportunity, to come to live with distant relatives. She didn't want to go. It broke her heart to leave Scotland. She had already lost her dad and then her mom. Leaving would mean that she was leaving behind the one person that now meant everything to her her baby brother. But her family really thought they were doing the right thing, giving her opportunity to come to this country. So on she went by herself at the age of eight, crossing the Atlantic. Unbeknownst to her family at that time, the reason distant family members said yes to taking her in is because they wanted a servant. Help and rescue uh, eventually came in the form of my grandfather. Two decades later, when my grandma was 27 years old. While dating, Grandpa quickly discovered that Grandma wanted terribly to get back to Scotland to see her family, especially to see her brother, so they pulled together their resources and saved for a time so that she could travel back to her homeland, which is what she did. Pretty soon after she got back home, she began thinking about delaying her return. Her family desperately wanted her to stay through Labor Day. This is the summer of, of 1939, by the way. Her family def- desperately wanted her to stay until Labor Day, knowing that it would likely be a really long time before she ever came back to be with him. So Grandma learned. She started investigating. She learned that there was the possibility that she could stay through Labor Day. She could return right afterwards on the very same ship, the Athenia, that she had traveled from Canada to Scotland, a transatlantic passenger liner that she could change her travel arrangements, and she was leaning toward delaying her return. However, my grandpa was becoming increasingly worried about the war and encouraged her strongly to come back as scheduled. With sadness, she kept her travel plans plans, returning after one month back to the States through Canada. Here is the sobering piece of this story for me. If my grandmother had changed her travel plans, which she came very close to doing, she would have been a passenger on the SS Athenia on September 3rd, 1939, the day a torpedo from a German submarine sank the Athenia with almost everybody on board drowning a sobering footnote in my grandma's storyline because we know in my family that very easily that whole line in our family tree including me could have easily not experienced life friends the work of god it is hidden and imperceptible to see difficult to see it's often easiest to see with the benefit of hindsight We are more able to discern the loving hand of God at work clearly when we look back, able to see the hand of God moving and working in our lives, able to see the meaning and purpose for circumstances and events which baffle us in the present. Even though it might not make sense for years or centuries or until the last day of history what the good purpose was, God is doing a progressive hidden work and nothing can prevent his plan. Ultimately, the Bible is a story, a narrative of God at work in history In many ways, it tells a love story and also a sad story of a world that ignores its creator. Yet a story with a great ending. God's story is still unfolding. The story continues with us. Now that the resurrection is over, what is the community to do? How will Jesus' ministry unfold now in Jesus' absence? Friends, the crazy and remarkable thing is that it has always been God's plan to leave the keys of the kingdom into our fumbling hands. The vehicle God chooses is us. What appears to be the end becomes the beginning as God sends out the spirit-infused church. Scripture teaches that the story of Jesus, it is actually the story of the world as well. Jesus created all things in love. He had the power and beauty to see his vision for the world through to its glorious end, to undo everything we have been able to do to harm it. To accomplish that, he had to come and die for it. Three days later, he rose again, and one day he will come back to usher in a renewed creation. As Pastor Tim Keller writes, the gospel is the ultimate story that shows victory coming out of defeat, strength coming out of weakness, life coming out of death, rescue from abandonment. And because it is a true story, it gives us hope that life will be like that. It can be your story as well. And it could be the story that we live and tell as we raise children, love extravagantly, forgive our enemies, care for the sick, give grace to those who don't deserve it, welcome strangers, and share what we have with others. Friends, the story continues with us. However, this is a really important part of this. We don't just tell about a story. We don't just talk about a story that happened 2,000 years ago. We share how the Jesus story intersects with our story, our personal story, our family's story, our church's story. We share about the night and day difference Jesus has and continues to make in our life for the truth is that a resurrected Jesus and a poured-out spirit, it changes everything. It changes everything about life, and it changes everything about death. This is the story that we now tell, the story of the risen Jesus and how that story transforms everything about our personal story and about this community story. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to help one another to remember who the author of our story is. We are going to remind one another of what an incredible mission and purpose we have. And we are going to encourage one another to live a better story than we are currently living. This is what the storyline of this community will be about. As we now commit ourselves this side of Easter to encouraging one another to follow Jesus, wherever we live, work, and play, to the glory of God, and for the blessing of God's world. Amen. Pray with me. Oh, loving and generous, living God, may there be a fresh wind of the Spirit among us. Fill us with your Spirit, so that we might live as yours in the world. Send us from this place changed and new. We pray for this with expectation in the name of Jesus. Amen.